Let's pray, shall we? So, Father, I just thank you so much for this time tonight that we can look into your word, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we want it to make an impact on our lives, so we invite you to work in each one of us as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, thank you for coming out tonight. So, I'm just going to say this. It's been a weird year. I know everyone does, but... I just had to say it's been so strange on so many different levels. And um, I have to say, though, I'm not. I was talking to my sister the other day, and we're not really as affected by this whole COVID as a lot of people are because where we live, we live out in the sticks and the boonies. And so we kind of sometimes can forget about it. But we were, uh, I was really impacted by it over the holidays. My son. And his family were going to be coming out here. They live back east, and they were going to come out here for Christmas. And I was so excited. They hadn't been here for a long time. And um, we had just made all these plans for the year of everything we were going to do. And then COVID hit, and everything shut down, and they had to cancel. And I was heartbroken because I have three little grandkids. And, oh, I was just so sad. So... um it was, anyways, they didn't, they haven't been here in a long time. It's been like three years, and the last time they were here, the kids were smaller, and they came for Christmas. And Christmas is so much fun with little kids around. You know, you've got like presents everywhere, you've got big ones, and you've got small ones, and you've got some that they're thrilled about, and some they're not so thrilled about. My little then two-year-old grandson, not so excited about his new shirt, but my granddaughter was over the moon about a, toy, a drone that she got from her parents. Uh, she was so excited. She'd been wanting one, and she got that. And so she spent most of her um, their, their time with us, she spent outside flying it around because we have some room to, um, for her to do that. So it was getting to be near the end of their visit, and she came in, and she goes, Grandma, my drone is lost. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go out and I'll help you look for it. So we went outside and, and I go, Peanut, because that's why I call her. I go, Peanut, where did you lose it? And she goes, out there. It went over the wires and it's out there. So I'm thinking, now let me paint this picture for you because, okay, now cue picture. We're farmers. We grow citrus. That is a portion of what I was looking at when she said, out there, over the wires. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to set a good example and see if I can find a spiritual lesson in this somewhere. Besides, it's not really lost. God knows where it is. So let's just pray and we'll go out and we'll look for it. So we did, and we went out, and we looked, and we looked, and we looked. We looked in the trees, and under the trees, and around the trees, and in the leaves. And you know what? We didn't find it. We didn't. She went home sad, and I stayed here, frankly, a little disappointed. Because when you pray for rain, don't you take an umbrella? Really. And um, I was disappointed, but you know what? I am a, a little stubborn. I'm actually a lot stubborn, and I don't take no for an answer very easily. And so I kept looking, and I kept praying for that drone. And the rain came, 
And I'd get out there with my little raincoat, my umbrella. I'd look for that drone. And then the winds came, and I'd brave the winds. And, and I'm thinking of that little drone flying around. It could be in the corner of Timbuktu, for all I knew. But I looked for that drone, that little lost drone in a sea of citrus. <sighs> Romans 1 through 8. Paul has shown us that we are saved by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Didn't we love chapter 8? Those amazing promises. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. God is for us, then who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from God's love. Amazing promises. And then we get to chapter 9. And it takes on an entirely different tone. And Paul's going to write about Israel. So I'm just going to give you a bird's eye view. It was in your lesson. We see that Paul addresses some misunderstandings and anticipated questions about God's faithfulness and righteousness and sovereignty in the building of the nation Israel that he picked Abraham over everyone else in the world, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau before they were ever born. We learned that salvation is not something we're born into. It's not because we've done anything to deserve it, and it's always because of God's great mercy toward us. So Paul opens this portion of his letter by showing us his heart, his heavy burden for his fellow Jews, his fellow countrymen. And that's kind of where I want to camp out for this next few minutes is Paul's heart for the lost. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Romans 9. It will start with verse 1. And I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. It says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. So Paul leaves this mountaintop of chapter 8. His heart now is heavy with grief and sorrow. He is seriously heartbroken. Why? Because his fellow Jews weren't saved. They were rejecting Jesus. All those promises that he's been writing about that we as believers can claim, they can't claim. That abundant life that we have, they don't have. That's the condition of the unbeliever. Yes, they were very zealous for God. They went through their rituals. They were God's chosen people. They kept spinning their wheels trying to get right with him by keeping the law, relying on their religion instead of trusting him. But they never succeeded. And now they're looking at spending eternity separated from God. And Paul keeps pointing them back to Jesus, but they didn't want to listen. Do you know someone like that? You try to tell them something and they don't want to listen? I do. You know, they're making some really poor life decisions. Maybe some that you had made in the past and you just want to go, stop. Don't go there. It's not the way. Go to Jesus they don't want to hear it. Maybe they get mad and, you know, just, you know, leave me alone. Mind your own business. They keep right on going. And you know that sorrow awaits them. 
And it's hard to watch. It's hard because you love them and you care about them. And that's how Paul felt. felt. And it broke his heart. They were lost and he longed for them to come to salvation. I wonder, do we have that longing for unbelievers? Early on in my Christian life, I didn't have much care for them. I really didn't think too much about it. I was just happy to be saved. I had fire insurance. And, and I think too many people stay in that place because it's comfortable and they get busy. They go to church every week, read their Bibles, hopefully, but they leave the lost to someone else. They know the verse, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But like me, I thought, what a great verse for missionaries. But you know what? We are that missionary. I am that missionary. You are that missionary. And our mission field is right outside these doors. The first time I ever attended church here, I left the parking lot and there was a sign and it said, you are now entering the mission field. I loved that sign and I looked at it every single time I drove out because it reminded me that my mission field is right here. Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, it is ripe for harvest. There are lost people everywhere. And ladies, we have the answer, we have the hope that they are looking for. At some point, if we're seriously walking with the Lord, abiding, looking up, seeing with eyes of faith, he changes us to be more like him, to love what he loves and to see people as he sees them. And we take on his heart and he has a heart for the lost. You see people through different eyes. The person parked on the, next to you at the stoplight or the person walking in front of you across the street. The motorcycles that whiz by my house on the way up Palomar Mountain, they don't all make it home. The temperature increases and so do the sirens. And I think, did they know Jesus? I ran across this staggering statistic during my study, which has deeply impacted me. The average number of deaths per year in the United States is 7,755 a day, 323 an hour. A person dies approximately every, every 11.14 seconds in the United States. Worldwide, it's almost two people per second going to eternity, heaven or hell. How do you feel about that? Does it cause you grief or anguish? Do you want it to? Or are you as content as I was, as I can be, to leave it to someone else? Paul's heart for the loss goes even deeper. Look at verse 3. He says, I would be willing to be forever cursed Cut off from Christ if that would save them. Wow. He would be willing to accept eternal separation from God 
if it would save his fellow Jews. And what makes this statement so incredible is that they weren't bosom buddies. They hated Paul. They viewed him as a traitor and they persecuted him just about everywhere they went, everywhere he went. They, they stoned him at Lystra and let him, left him for dead. But Paul continued to love them to the point that he would sacrifice his place in heaven for them. We see these, um, we see this before in Moses when he interceded for the Israelites. Remember in Exodus 32 and they made the golden calf, right? Um, Moses went up to um, Mount Sinai with God to meet with God, receive the law. The Israelites are left below and they're getting impatient because he's taking too long. They made this golden calf to worship. And God says, Moses, you got to get back down there. So Moses went back down. They made this calf. Moses was angry. God was angry. And Moses prays this great prayer. He said, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin. But if not, erase my name from the record you have written. A sacrificial heart for the people He loved. The greatest example of sacrificial love we see, of course, is in Jesus when he died for our sins. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, Paul knew that such a prayer would not result in the salvation of the Jews, but he's showing us how deeply he cared. I fall far short of Paul's heart far short, but I do have an understanding, and you may also, of being deeply afraid for someone's eternity like that. I prayed that very prayer for my son when he was a toddler. I recognized my train wreck of a life, and I reasoned, my son is going to follow in my footsteps. He won't be saved He's going to go to hell, and it's going to be my fault. It's the primary reason I started changing my life, my lifestyle, and how I was living. I felt this deep responsibility for his salvation. So I went back to my church upbringing roots, and I must have remembered this story, although at the time, I don't think I remembered who said it. I believed I was saved, even though I was living a prodigal's lifestyle, but I was so afraid for him, and I pleaded with God Take my name out of your book. Put his place, put his name in my place. Send me to hell. It's okay. Please save my son. Faulty thinking. Because we know, as Paul did, that no one but Jesus can take the penalty for our own sin. Every person is accountable before God for his own life. Their eternal destiny is each person's individual responsibility. Romans, in Romans 2, we read that God will render to each one according to his deeds. I couldn't take that from my son, but it's where my heart was. And like I said, I fall far short of Paul. I have never said that again about anybody. And if I were honest, I don't have that level of grief. But I want it. And we can, we can ask God for it. We can ask God to deepen our love, our concern for the lost. We can ask him to break our heart for them. One commentator says, if we are not deeply moved, 
we must plead with God for the gift of distress over perishing unbelievers. For it is such distress that moves us into action, to pray, to go, to give. So let's do a heart check. How far are we willing to go to see the lost come to Christ? What sacrifices are we willing to make? Time? Comfort? Finances? What action am I willing to take to show them I care? I keep in um, my car, I keep little little baggies of, of, of three things. I keep bottles of water, get them at Costco, a can of little sausages, and a little snack bar, put them in little baggies, and put in a little four spiritual laws. So when I'm driving around and I see someone in need, I can hand this to them and show them that I care. Because if they know you care, they soften. You've heard that, you've heard that saying, you know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, I've, had, I've had never had anyone turn those away. They always take it. And they're always grateful. Um, you know, my son did come to know the Lord early in life. And after that prayer and after years of changing and growing, God put it on my heart to pray scripture for him. God's own words. And I wanted to do something hands-on, something that I could physically give him. So I started reading a Bible through for him, turning verses into prayers. And in fact, and journaling through it, I'm doing one for each of my grandchildren right now so that they know, they will always know even after I'm gone, that I prayed for them and what I prayed for them. And after I gave it to him, he asked me to do one for his friend. So I did. And that friend did make a decision for Christ. And then he asked me to do one for another friend of a very different faith. And, and, um, and I said, do you think that he would really read it? And he goes, he will because he'll see how much you care about him. So I did. I prayed and I journaled. And I knew enough about his faith that I could speak directly to it, boldly but, but lovingly. And all the way through, I kept pointing him to Jesus, pointing him to Jesus. You know, still he does not believe. And I think, how do you not see it? It's right there. Your own faith uses the Bible. Look at verse 4. Paul writes, They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. They had all of this and still they did not believe. The very one that they've been waiting for and praying for was right in front of them. But Jesus, he didn't meet their expectations. They didn't want to believe that he was the Messiah. Nope, we got this. It's frustrating, isn't it? I've told them over and over again. I've prayed for them. I've showed them love and nothing ever happens. They don't care. 
What do we do with that when people say that to us? Scripture says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God's desire is that everyone is saved and for everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. But not everybody will. No one comes unless the Father draws him. He chose us before the foundations of the world. He also lets people make their own choices. The choice to obey or disobey. The choice on who or who they will or will not serve. The choice to accept or reject Jesus. Joshua twenty four fifteen, Joshua says, Choose you this day who you will serve. Elijah called God's people to choose once and for all between the living God who delivered them and the false God. God has given us that awesome responsibility. And then he uses those choices to accomplish his plan. We see that in Pharaoh's hardened heart when the Israelites left Egypt, right? God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God has a part. We have a part. Both are taught in scripture and both are true. There are some really good archived messages from Pastor Rob on the Calvary Vista website. And on your handout, um, uh, it shows kind of the address, the path on how to get to them. And he's got some great messages that that talk about this in, in greater depth. So I would really recommend that you go there and listen to those. This is what I know, though, that God is God and I am not. He doesn't ask for my opinion or feels like he needs to explain anything to me. And there are some things that we just need to say, I don't fully get this, but I'm going to trust him. Because he is a good God and he will always do what is right and he will always do what is good. And we do what he's told us to do and we leave the rest to him. And we pray, we show compassion, we speak truth and love, and we live out our life of faith. And we don't give up. Paul was diligent in praying. You know, there are some people that, can, that will pray 20, 30, 40 years for someone. My mom did. I have a letter from her that she gave me when I was about 18, begging me not to continue in the lifestyle I was in. And she told me that she prayed for me and some of her other wayward family members as well. And... Um, You know, she eventually saw me come to Christ. But then she passed away not knowing about anybody else. But you know what? Today, I am seeing some of those people come back to Christ, take an interest in what the Bible says, going back to church. I'm seeing her prayers answered years after she's been gone. I was reading the story recently of George Mueller. He is... um, Lived back in the 1800s, and he was known to be a man of prayer. He died when he was 93. And toward the end of his life, he said that he had prayed for two specific men for over 55 years. That means that he would have started praying for them around 37, 38 years old. And someone asked him, they said, don't you ever feel like giving up? And he said, oh, no. See, he believed that God intended to save them because he had such a deep God-given burden for them, so he kept going. 
And before he died, one of them came to Christ, and the other was saved after he died. Never, never, never give up. As long as you have breath, keep praying. Pastor Rob has recently challenged us to commit to praying for three people in our sphere of influence that they would come to faith in Christ. So I've done this before. You know, I've had the little cards and I've written down the names. I'm in church and the names come to mind, so I write them down. And, and uh, I'll go home and I'll start praying. But then, you know, after a few weeks, I forget. And it gets pushed aside and other immediate prayer needs, you know, they start praying about that. And then, and then all of a sudden, months go by and then I'll find this little card tucked away in the book of Numbers. And I go... Oh, I totally forgot about that. So I have to find a way to keep them in front of me. So I have a prayer wall. And on my wall, I have five by seven, eight by 10 pictures of the people that I pray for. So when I get up every morning and I get in my little area for my quiet time, those faces greet me every morning. And I pray for them. Paul sets an example of this in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, My prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. That was his primary prayer. Intentionally, specifically, for the salvation of the lost. For the people I'm praying for, do I want them to have success? Yes. Do I want them to have good health? Absolutely. Do I want them to make good decisions? Of course. But my primary prayer for them is to be saved. Those other things, they're temporary. But eternity. God grant them mercy. Remove Satan's influence on their lives. Take the blinders off, Lord. Open their eyes that they will turn from darkness to light. Give them a receptive heart. Do whatever is necessary to bring them to you. That's a bold prayer. And sometimes there's an answer that's hard to watch. I have a sign that's next to my desk that says, I'm never so high as when I am on my knees. Keep praying. Keep showing love. Keep taking advantages advantage of the opportunities that God puts in front of us and be ready if they ask about the hope that is within. Be ready to explain it. We need to be able to give a defense, solid reasons to articulate what we believe and why we believe it. And sometimes it's helpful to write out little bullet points on three by five cards, although I realize people don't use that anymore. They probably use the little notepad on their phone. Um, I found um, on an app just a couple of days ago, an app called Share Jesus Without Fear. And um, it's a great little app on, on just how to share your faith. And it answers all these questions, how to answer the qu- common questions that people have. Uh, share Jesus Without Fear. And then you can keep the little pamphlet, the four spiritual laws. Just keep them handy so that you can give them out. Or if someone should ask, you can explain it to them. And know your own story. Ladies, have you ever written out your testimony, your story? Have you ever written out how you came to Christ? 
how you see the evidence of his love and his mercy and his grace in your own life? You know, Paul gave his testimony. He gave it to King Agrippa in Acts 26. It says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hands and began his defense. Ladies, if you've been given permission to speak, speak. Speak boldly. Even if you don't feel like you're going to do it right, or you might say too much or not enough, God can use it. Bill Faye says, the one thing God can't use is our silence. I took on this challenge and wrote out my testimony several years ago, three of them. I wrote a short one that I could tell someone in two or three minutes, a medium one that I could tell in maybe 15 to 20 minutes, and then I wrote a really long one that took up about 60 pages. And you know what happened when I read it? I was amazed at my salvation. Are you amazed at your salvation? I thought, God, you saved me? Thank you. Paul was amazed at his salvation. He called himself the worst of sinners. John Newton was amazed at his salvation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. In his testimony, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. If God can save me. And when you grasp how much you've been forgiven and why you've been forgiven and God's amazing love and grace towards you, you want to tell people. Nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. Nothing in this entire universe. Nothing is more important. And then when the lost is found and a sinner repents, there is what? Joy, there is great rejoicing. Remember the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15, the joy over finding a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son? There's a celebration going on, right? It is huge. You know, I searched for that little drone for weeks. I did. I still expected God to. (laughs) To answer, it was daunting. It was impossible. I was out there thinking, What am I doing out here? (laughs) I was. And then one afternoon, I pulled back some branches and sitting on a leaf on the ground was a little drone. And I literally shouted for joy. I screamed for joy. And then I went in my house and I cried at God's Amazing goodness. I was absolutely overwhelmed. Why did he delay? I don't know. I have some theories. But I called my granddaughter and I told her what a big God we have. And that was over a toy. Can you imagine? Can you grasp your joy when a sinner comes to Christ because of your prayers, because of your witness. So where's your heart? What action are you willing to take to point people to Jesus? 
Let's not merely say that we love one another. Let us show the truth by our actions. Are you praying bold prayers for the lost, lifting them up to God? How about for yourself? Lord, increase my distress for those who don't know you. Ask boldly. Ask expectantly. Because time is short and life is but a breath and nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Right? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for not making us earn it. Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy toward us. Lord, you've shown us your heart. Such a great love you have for the lost. So, Lord, I just thank you so much that, that you do, and, and I just ask that you would give us that same heart for the lost, that we would say with Isaiah, Here am I, Lord. Send me across the world, across the country, across the street, into our own families, Lord. Increase our burden for them. Change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.